Thank you for taking time to listen to this week's message from Horizon West Church. You can find even more content, including video archives of this and other past messages at horizonwestchurch.com. And if you're in the Horizon West area, be sure to visit us sometime soon. Now enjoy this podcast from Horizon West Church. be seated. A woman came up to me after the first service, after a 9.30 service. She said, you know, I came in this morning and was just wrestling and struggling with God's goodness. This was a woman, she gave me permission to share her story, lost her husband suddenly uh, earlier this year. I was at a daddy-daughter dance with my two girls, started getting phone calls, texts. Let me tell you, just behind the scenes, the, the, the power of a shared leadership model. We had a deacon couple that I was able to text to immediately be with this woman, with her family, uh, so that I could be both dad and then later in the night be pastor. And God worked it out, but it's tough. Some of you have lost a spouse, lost a child, lost a parent, lost a loved one. And so she said, I came in heavy. I came in wrestling and struggling. And as we sang that song, I was reminded that all my life, God has been faithful to me. All my life, he's been good to me. The power of what we do every Sunday, it's not just in the fact that we read the Bible or that we sing songs or that we see one another. It's that God uses all of that to remind us that there was a moment where our journey intersected with the person of Jesus. And because that happened and because it keeps happening, we can sing of the goodness of God, not just because someone told us it's true, but because we personally experienced it in our own journey. The next four weeks, we're doing something that we're calling a journey of grace. And this is both a message series and something much more than that. We're asking God to birth a movement in Horizon West Church and in all the campuses of First Orlando that would go beyond simply something we would do for four weeks and live beyond into the reality of the future that God is leading us into. Journey of grace. And so I want to let you know that this journey of grace over the next four weeks will culminate on October the 8th in what we're calling a Celebration Sunday. Uh, This is going to be a chance for you as an individual, you as a couple or a family, to prayerfully commit to what blessing you're going to give to the Lord and to the church financially as a result of God's goodness to you. But I'm going to pin that there and talk about it later. Let me let you know that along along the way on that journey, we're going to be in two weeks from now celebrating five years as a campus, five years as Horizon West Church. Y'all, yeah, you can applaud that. Uh, Talk about a journey. It has been incredible, and some of you have been with us the whole time. Most of you have come in the last few months or years, but we thank God for his faithfulness. And so October 1st, we're going to come together at 11 o'clock for one service, all of us from babies all the way up. uh, We're going to have one service at 11 o'clock where we're going to celebrate the goodness of God. Uh, we'll have some kind of a light show going on behind me like we're having right now. We're, we're going to continue to just lean into what God is doing, but there's going to be baptisms. There's going to be uh, videos telling life change stories, all of this to just thank God for what he has done and what he continues to do at Horizon West Church. Oh, and by the way, you're going to get some free Horizon West Church swag the next couple Sundays. So make sure that you're here. And if you're streaming, just find a way to get here. So Uh, What we're doing today is we're going to be in 2 Corinthians. Think of this as kind of like 
the sequel to 1 Corinthians, the, the sequel to Paul's first letter to a church in Greece called the Corinthian Church. And what Paul is doing throughout these two letters is twofold. One, Paul is wanting to give them a vision, and my heart and desire is that we would catch a vision for what life in the kingdom of God looks like. Secondly, he's going to not only give them a vision for it, but he's going to give them some real practical instructions for how the gospel ought to change everything in our lives. The gospel changes the way that we relate to each other as a church. It changes the way that we relate to one another in the context of marriage, if you're married. And the gospel changes the way we relate to both eating and drinking. Paul said, even in something as minute as a meal, in all things, give glory to God. And so here in 2 Corinthians, Paul's going to say essentially, as the gospel changes all of those areas of our lives, the gospel also changes the way we relate to money. Now, for those who throw up in their mouth a little bit when a church talks about money, uh, let me say this. Jesus spoke about money and possessions more than any other subject, including heaven, hell, love, or sin. All of it. And what I want to say to you is that if Jesus only has authority over the areas of your life that you're comfortable surrendering, he is not your Lord, he is a good luck charm. See, if Jesus is the Lord of your life, if he's the leader of your life, that means every area of your life is lived with open hands and we say, God, whatever I have, whatever you've given me, may it be used to honor you and to further the gospel of Jesus Christ. Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says it like this, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves cannot break in and steal, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus does not say, watch out for this danger of allowing your heart to follow your treasure. He, he's not warning them about the heart following treasure. He's telling them this is a reality of life. Wherever you have your treasure has your heart. Jesus does not need your money. Jesus is after your heart. And what Jesus knows is as long as you're clutching to money, as long as that's the priority in your life, as long as that is your God, Jesus can't be. That's what he says later in the passage. No one can serve two masters, either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. One of the most misquoted verses in all of scripture is, money is the root of all evil. <laughs> it's not what the Bible says, but the Bible does say, and Jesus says, the love of money is a root, among others, of all kinds of evil. Now, immediately, some of you are going to go, well, I don't love money. I just like having nice things. Or, I don't love money. I just want to make sure my future is secure. Or, I don't love money. I just want my kids to have better than I had. It all sounds well and good. But let me ask you a question, and can you honestly answer this? Which would create more pain and anxiety in your heart and life? If your spiritual practices, like going to church, reading the Bible, if those were taken away from you versus if your financial securities and your comforts were taken away from you, which creates more angst for you? Because if we're honest with ourselves, some of us are going, 
man, I can go a few weeks without church. I can go a couple months with my Bible on the shelf, but threaten my bank account, threaten my job, threaten my security, and life implodes. If that's the case, it may be an indicator of where your treasure actually is. Today in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, we're going to look at nine verses that are going to show us three outcomes of the heart that is surrendered to God in the area of money. Because remember, it's not about the money, it's about the heart. The, the money serves as a sort of mirror to show us what our heart values. And if I, have to, if I had to put a word on what this message is about, I would give you the word beyond. God is calling us to go beyond where we are into something new and better. Before I do that, I just want to recognize that for some of you, money is, is a, a thing that creates anxiety, it creates tension, it's the, the one thing that you and your spouse maybe can't talk about, it's, it's something that you have a history and a background of that, that is uncomfortable for you. Maybe you've been in a church that abused finances or mishandled money. I, I want to acknowledge that those things exist, and here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Would you, for just a moment, as we pray, as we get ready to dive into the scripture, would you just put your hands in this posture, hands open in front of you, palms up, if you're willing to do this, and would you say this, God, whatever you have for me, I receive it. Wherever you want to take me, I'm ready to go beyond. And with our eyes closed in a posture of prayer, let me pray this over us. God, I ask that you investigate our hearts in this moment. Show us what we have been valuing more than you and where we have stored up our treasure. With open hands, we release our obsession with security, with comfort, and with the urge to impress others. In their place, God, would you plant within each of us a deeper love of Jesus and a greater passion for the gospel. Our hearts, like our hands, are open before you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now to the scripture, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, let me read these verses. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For these churches gave according to their means, as I can testify, but even beyond their means, out of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. And so accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in, feet, in, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see also that you excel in this act of grace. Now I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness or genuineness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. This passage has some indicators that there is a context going on that is maybe not clearly revealed in the passage. So let me provide that for you. When, when Paul talks about these churches in Macedonia, when he talks about this, this relief of the saints, what he's referring to is a famine that has begun to occur in and around Jerusalem. And so as the gospel is going all over the world and, and churches are being planted and, and people are being discipled, on the heels of that is a financial hardship, especially for the people of Jerusalem. And, and so what Paul's going to do is he's going to 
ask the church of Corinth, he's going to admonish the church of Corinth to pay attention to what's happening in Jerusalem and to give to relieve the needs that are going on there. And what he says is, he says, the churches of Macedonia have already done this. They become, for Paul, kind of the, the model or example that he's asking the Corinthians to follow. Let me show you a map of where these churches are. Macedonia is in the northern part of Greece. That's where both Thessalonica and Philippi, two other churches that Paul planted and wrote letters to, that's where they are located. Corinth is just a little south of there, and then Jerusalem is way south and to the east of there. And the reason I show you this map is that Jerusalem is located roughly 1,200 miles from Corinth. In fact, if you were to get there by way of transportation that they had, such as walking, what would happen is it would take you roughly 60 days to arrive at Jerusalem. And this is what that means. The people of Corinth would never see or meet the people of Jerusalem, and they would never see the outcome of what their giving would contribute to. When we come to God with a posture of surrender in the area of our finances, what happens is God takes us beyond our view. He, he takes us just beyond the, the things that we can see and tangibly experience, and our gifts can become seeds planted in a garden that you'll never see the fruit come out of, but someone else will. God wants to take us beyond our view. You remember the first time that you saw real poverty? Just kind of a, a light head nod. Do you remember the first time? Maybe that was in the inner city somewhere in America. Maybe that was in Haiti or in South America or South Asia. And you, you remember going, man, this, this isn't just like, man, they, they're kind of having some rough times. This is abject poverty. For me, that experience was at the age of 19 when I, for the first time, went outside of the country to the nation of Haiti. Coincidentally, both my wife and I, our first time leaving America was to go to Haiti on missions trips. And then, as now, in fact, in many ways, it's worse there. And, and if you, let me just say this, if you know anyone from Haiti or God puts it on your heart, would you pray for the people of Haiti? Because now on top of poverty, there's all kinds of political turmoil. It's a mess. But, but the poverty was what stood out to me when I went now 20 years ago. Seeing 300 square foot homes where six or eight or ten people lived in one room. Learning that the average annual income in Haiti is less than $1,000, even less at that time. Or, and I'm not sure how it is now, but in one case, going into a village and seeing dozens of children who didn't even have a single article of clothing on. Did you know that Haiti is closer to us than Jerusalem was to Corinth? Haiti's only 900 miles away. And I'm not saying that to put a, 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 guilt, a guilt trip or burden or to say that, that Haiti particularly needs your heart. But what I am saying is that God wants us to be a church that gives to the point that others in need are blessed and enriched because of it, even if we never see or encounter those people firsthand. What happened for me when I went to Haiti for the first time is that my perspective on the world changed. Can anybody else relate to that? It was an experience where the, my perspective on the world changed. It, it occurred to me that this is not only true in Haiti, but this is true in various parts all over the world. And even when I'm not looking at the problem, now that I know it exists, I see it in my mind's eye. Once you know the problems of war or the refugee crisis or the immigration mess or racism or all of these things that exist in our world today, once we see them, we can't unsee them. And that's not a bad thing. God wants to take us beyond our view. 
Because when we see beyond our sight, that is what is called vision. I believe God wants to birth within us a vision of going beyond where we are to reaching those outside of where we are. We believe at Horizon West Church that the vision God has given us is in part that we become a diverse community of good friends together doing good works and sharing the good news of Jesus. For the last five years, that vision has almost exclusively or primarily been about Horizon West and the greater West Orange community. And we will continue to be for Horizon West. That's a term we use often. But you know what I believe is that in the coming years, and we're already seeing the beginning indicators of it, that God is going to use our church not just to transform and impact Horizon West, but that the world beyond our view would also be impacted. We've already got a missionary or two in various places. I believe God wants to send more in the years ahead. We already took our first kind of vision trip to a, a nation to see if we might partner there. I believe God wants to take more people into places where there are need. God wants us to get beyond our view, that our posture of surrender would not only impact what we see, but even beyond it. Secondly, the one who is surrendered in their finances is going to give beyond their circumstances. The reality for some of you is your heart is to be generous. Your heart is to give. You know, Chris, I, I, I resonate with that. I, I want people to be blessed. I want those in need to be, you know, to their needs to be met. I want to do all of that. But the problem for you is one of circumstances. When you get to the end of the month, you have no more money, right? And listen, I'll be real transparent. It's the same way for my family as it is for many of yours. The margins are smaller and smaller. I don't know if you've noticed, but the gas prices are going up, not down. The cost of groceries is going up, not down. I got hit with a property tax that went way up and not down. I'm not swimming in cash going, oh man, now it's easy to give. No, I'm going, God, this is tough. This is challenging. Nikki and I have always made it a practice to give 10% or more, but, but we want to do more than that. And we're going, God, how, how do we get to the more when we feel like there is less? Can I show you something in the passage? Look again with me at verses 2 through 4. Paul says of the Macedonian churches, in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme, what? Poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part, for they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and even beyond their means of their own accord, and they begged us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. Now this is remarkable because two things were married in the reality and the hearts of the Macedonian churches. Both extreme poverty. This isn't, this isn't lower income, lower, this is extreme poverty and abundant joy. You know what the lesson is for us? What we give or, or our decision to give, our commitment to give, has less to do with what is around us and more to do with what is within us. If you've got the heart to give, would you begin praying, God, make a way? And maybe that's going to be tough. Nikki and I talked yesterday. We're going, hey, where can we create a little more margin? What, what can we not do that we've been doing so we can open up more? We're doing that. I want to ask you to do the same thing. We believe the vision that God has given for Horizon West Church and for all of the campuses of First Orlando is bigger than what we're seeing right now. God wants to take us beyond our circumstances. 
Jesus once in the Gospel of Luke used an individual to tell the story of what giving beyond our circumstances look like. It's Luke chapter 21, and interestingly, Jesus has positioned himself right in front of the offering box at the temple so that he can see everybody that comes to give. Now, disclaimer, me and no one on my staff position ourselves near the offering boxes or follow up on you. I don't know what you give. None of us do on the staff. But Jesus positions himself there to see what is happening. And what is happening is this. Those who are wealthy are coming, and they're giving large amounts of money out of their abundance. And then listen to what happens. Luke chapter 21. Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts in the offering box. And then he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. And Jesus said, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, put in all that she had to live on. This woman with her two small coins, Jesus said, is a picture of giving beyond your circumstances. That first coin, in a sense, could be her, her extra. It's the thing that she was able to part with. But when she gave the second coin, Jesus said, that's all that she had. She gave everything she had, and you only do that if you trust that God is your provider. If you trust that the third coin is coming from him. And so I can put it all in. Let me clarify what Jesus isn't saying because sometimes the story gets misunderstood. And let me say, if I haven't said it already, this is not a parable. This is a real life situation that Jesus saw and commented on. So here's not what's happening. Jesus is not glorifying poverty nor demonizing wealth. He wasn't saying, look, you shouldn't be rich, you should be poor. It had nothing to do with circumstances. Secondly, Jesus isn't saying, and this may be the greater danger we come away with, Jesus isn't saying, hey, every little bit helps. <laughs> it's not like a lesson on like, hey, if you just give two pennies, then you're good. That's kind of the opposite of what Jesus is saying. What Jesus is saying is that a heart that is surrendered to God gives even when it's hard to do so. In fact, I would say it like this. When we give beyond our ability, that is what is called generosity. It's not generous until it hurts a little. It's not generous until you go, I don't, I don't know how I can, but I will. Can I tell you that there are very, very wealthy people at Horizon West Church who are very, very generous, who give to the point that it hurts and beyond. And there are people who have very, very little who are very, very generous. The issue is one of the heart but your hands show you what's in your heart. What you give and what you hold back, that matters because it's connected to a heart that is either surrendered or not surrendered to the work of the Lord. Let me ask you this question. What would it look like for you or for your family to give generously to the work of the Lord in the coming season? Third and finally, giving from a surrendered heart looks like going beyond ourselves. It's important that I tell you because you might have heard a different message from another church. Giving has nothing to do with scoring points with God. God is not an accountant going, well, this person gave this much, this person gave that much, I'm going to bless this, I'm not going to bless that. There are preachers on stages all around America, especially, and elsewhere in the world, telling you that the amount that you give will invoke God's blessing or favor. If you don't give a certain amount, we don't do that. That's called being a con artist. We don't practice that here. You're not scoring points with God. And it's not a, relig a religious ritual. Like, oh, it's like, I got a tithe because it's, it's a churchy thing to do. 
Do you know why I would admonish you and encourage you to be part of giving? Yes, the scripture calls for it. But here's even a greater reason. On the other side of your obedience are real people with real needs for whom your gift can make a real difference. Real people, real needs, and your gifts make a real difference. We give because God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Let let me tell you what this means for us. It means that giving goes beyond our own interests to serve the needs of others. When you look at what Jesus got out of the exchange, giving his life for you and me, man, that's not a trade I would make. If I was the GM of the Bucks or the Magic, I'm not making that trade. Jesus gave everything so that we might be enriched. Here's what else. Giving involves more than money and it, go, it goes beyond material needs only. Those that say, hey, give to the Lord because then you can drive the nicest, newest cars. And, no, no, no. Jesus gave so that the sins of the world would be forgiven. Jesus gave physically and tangibly beyond himself so that our deepest spiritual need might be met. Every so often as a church, and pretty regularly, we have the chance to meet needs in our community. One of the primary ways we do that is through what's called the care portal. This is part of our family advocacy ministry, where where families who are in need are getting real tangible things. We're able to give to that. You're going to hear more about this because of gifts that are given by you in the congregation. You didn't even know that was happening in some cases. You may not see that, but your giving beyond yourself is meeting real needs. But you know what's doing more than that? More than the physical needs that we can met and we are, meet and we are doing that? Every week, we're seeing life change happening. We're seeing stories of people who go, I showed up at the church and this was my last ditch effort. I showed up with no hope. I had lost the favor or goodness of God. I had forgotten what God had done in my life. People who are dead spiritually who have come to life. People being baptized. Life change. That's the power of the gospel. That is what giving can catalyze. Look again at verse 9 when Paul says this, You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Friends, if the gospel changes anything, it should change our desire to walk in the footsteps of Jesus. To be a Christian is to be a follower of Christ. Now, thank God he went to the cross and he paid for the sins of the world because you and I couldn't do that. But he also said, take up your cross and follow me. And so as we follow in the footsteps of of Jesus, the most natural thing is that we become people who, like him, are people who give of ourselves. Let me make this practical and have a date for you to circle in your mind. On October the 8th, in four weeks, we're going to have a celebration Sunday. We're asking everybody who partakes in the life of Horizon West Church, whether you've been here five years or five months or five weeks or today is your first day, we're asking that you begin praying about a celebration gift and commitment that you would make on Sunday, October the 8th. This is both a one-time contribution and also a commitment prayerfully of what you plan to give over the next 12 months. Now, I want to encourage you to have two conversations before, before October the 8th. First, if you're married, have a conversation with your spouse. Really, really important that you not just kind of go out on your own and go ahead. 
Nikki and I had the conversation yesterday. What are we going to do? Where are we going to create margin so that we can give more and not less in the coming year? So I want to encourage you to have that. Secondly, and every bit or more, more importantly, I want you to have a conversation with God. I can't tell you what to give. No, no one's going to give you that number, but you can prayerfully ask, Lord, what is it that you would have us give for the work of the gospel and to advance the kingdom throughout the world? We're going to ask you to make that commitment on October the 8th. And while uh, we have that in mind, I want to show you what we're going to ask you to do. We're going to ask you to go beyond where you are in one of four ways. Some of you, this season will be your first time to give to the church. And you know what? We want to celebrate that. We want to applaud that. We, we love to see people take a step they've never taken before. And that might be a really big deal. You go, I've always held the money back. I've always let somebody else do it. But in this season, I want to commit for the first time to giving a financial gift. That's first. Secondly, some of you are going to move from beyond that first time gift to intentional giving. I might use the term consistent or regular or habitual. It's not, hey, you know, once every couple years we're going to make a donation, but this is a part of our life. This is a part of the discipleship journey of grace, and you become an intentional giver. We want to celebrate that as well. Some of you have been intentionally giving, but God's calling you to go even beyond that and to give a percentage of your income to the Lord. In the Old Testament, that income was 10%, or that percentage was 10%. We always encourage people to make that your floor, but you pray and ask God, what is a percentage of my income that I can give generously, sacrificially, and intentionally to the work of God? And then finally, if you're already doing that 10%, or whatever that percentage is, we want to encourage you to go even beyond that, and here's why. The journey of grace is never over. It's never like we've given enough to satisfy the debt. It's never like, well, that's where my journey stops. Wherever you are, we're encouraging, encouraging everyone in our congregation to take a step beyond in their surrender. When we sacrifice beyond ourselves, this is what Scripture calls grace. And there is no greater picture of grace than the person and work of Jesus. When he went to the cross to pay for the sins of the world, he became not only our Savior, not only our Lord, but he became our model to follow after. Do you know what Jesus was thinking about and doing on the cross? Jesus was looking out for the needs of his own mom when he said to his disciple John, here is your mother. Jesus was looking to provide out of his grace. Jesus was responding to uh, mockery and insults from both those who crucified him and also those on his right and left. And Jesus responded with kindness and not with anger. Even to the point that Jesus on the cross said these shocking words, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. The life of Jesus is a life of grace. To follow after Jesus is to pursue a life of grace. That is really what we are about at Horizon West Church. This morning on your way in, you should have received the elements of communion. We haven't done this in a while and we get to do this this Sunday. If you did not receive the elements for communion and you would like to participate, would you just slip a hand up so we can have some folks come around and make sure that you receive that? If you need the, the communion elements and did not get them. And while they're doing that, let me give some context. Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed during his meal with the 12 disciples, broke bread and said, this is my body which is broken for you. Here's another one back here. Take and whenever you eat this, do it in remembrance 
of me. So when we eat this wafer in a moment, we're remembering the body of Jesus that was broken for us. And after that, Jesus took the wine and he distributed to the disciples and said, this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out on your behalf. Drink whenever you do it in remembrance of me. This, friends, is a picture of grace. If you've not yet put your trust in Jesus, I'm going to ask that you just kind of let this moment pass. This is for those of us who have put our trust and confidence in Jesus. Those of us who know that the death of Jesus is the only thing that could forgive us and make us right with God. And so at this time, would you take and eat, take and drink, remembering the death of Jesus on our behalf. It's a beautiful sound. The body of Christ, the church, remembering the body of Christ broken for us. Jesus said in Matthew 10, 8, freely you have received, freely give. Let those be my parting words before I pray, that you would live every day with this remembrance. Freely you have received from God, freely give to others. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for the gift of Jesus. We thank you for the, the charis grace of God given to us. God, not a, not a I wish I could, not a it would be nice if it would, but God, you gave your one and only, your son, Jesus, to save us, to redeem us, to bless us with blessing after blessing. God, may we be people who respond in kind, that the generous outpouring of grace you have put into us, that we'd be a conduit and a channel of that grace to others to your glory, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the Horizon West Church Podcast. If you were inspired or encouraged by something you heard today, share it with a friend. For more information like our service times, location, and other info, be sure to visit us online at horizonwestchurch.com. Have a great week.